Hello and welcome to a US presidential special edition episode of the Migration and Diaspora podcast, a show with me, your host, Loxan Harley, about all things migration. Today, I have Jessica Bolter from the Migration Policy Institute, MPI, to talk about the newly elected President Joe Biden's migration agenda. Jessica is an associate policy analyst with the US Immigration Policy Program at MPI, which is a nonpartisan think tank based in Washington, DC. Jessica's research focuses on migration patterns at the US-Mexico border, immigration enforcement, and asylum and refugee issues. And for the past four years, she has also been involved in tracking and analyzing the hundreds of administrative changes that the Trump administration made to the US immigration system. Jessica has a bachelor's degree in American studies and Spanish area studies from Kenyon College, where she focused on relations between the US and Latin America. Now sit back and enjoy your very own briefing on the Biden migration agenda, which has some similarities with episode seven, where Jessica's Brussels colleague, Timo Schmidt from MPI Europe, briefed us on the EU's new migration pact. In today's episode, we start by looking back at what happened to US migration policy under President Donald Trump, before looking at what the Biden administration has already enacted since ascending to the White House proverbial throne a few weeks back, as well as what's in store for the rest of the new presidential term as regards migration. As always, we really appreciate your time and we hope you enjoy the show. Okay, Jessica Bolter, welcome to the Migration and Diaspora podcast. How are you and where are you calling in from? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm doing pretty well. I'm calling in from just outside Washington, D.C. in Maryland. Okay, cool. And what is your own migration and diaspora story, uh, Jessica? Well, the most recent migration story I think I have is that my grandma actually came, actually immigrated to the U.S. from Germany in 1938 when she was 10 years old. She actually followed her father here who had come a few years before because uh, he had been stripped of his German citizenship because of his Jewish heritage. Other than that, I've had family come from mostly Russia and England, but that was way back before I know when that happened. <laughs> okay, so you're not so familiar with the, the Bolters, where the Bolters came from in, in uh, pr- presumably the British Isles. Unfortunately not. That's a shame. My cousins are actually Bolters. Uh, really? Yeah, really. Um, I do not hear that often. <laughs> Bolter with a U though, B-O-U-L-T-E-R. Okay. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> well, it's my Chinese side that married into the Bolters. Um, wow. Well, welcome. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was going to try and claim you for the British diaspora. But, but I guess I guess it's a bit far removed, but, but you know, you're welcome anyway, if you want to... <laughs> Claim it by um, what's the word by uh, affiliation or indirect. <laughs> all right, well, let's get into it. So we're talking all about migration in the in Biden's new administration. So first of all, let's start with a bit about the U.S. political system for those who don't know so much about it, like myself, I would say. So how are migration policies made in the U.S.? Sure. So there's a couple different ways they can be made. They can be made through Congress, through the legislative branch, although that has been rarer in recent years because of just how gridlocked and polarized Congress is and how difficult it is to really move anything significant through Congress. You know, we haven't had 
significant reforms to our immigration laws since 1996. We haven't had any sort of broad legalization since 1986. Uh, so for a while, it's been difficult to get things passed legislatively. The other way that policies can be made is uh, through the executive branch, and that's either through the president or through the cabinet agencies. And those, the policies that are made through the executive branch um, tend to be more vulnerable to court challenges. They tend to be more vulnerable to being reversed by future administrations, but they still can do important things during a president's administration. You know, this can be something like um, setting priorities for uh, for who's a who's a target for enforcement in the interior of the U.S. Um, you know, who's the priority for being arrested or removed. Uh, it can also be things like what does the structure of the asylum system look like? So there's still important policies and changes that can be made executively. There's also some things that are specifically set aside for the executive branch to decide. And these are things like how many refugees will be admitted to the U.S. each year, or whether there are nationals of certain countries that should be designated for temporary protected status, essentially a complementary protection. So there's several ways that this can happen. Executive is more common now. Okay, cool. So in that case, would you say, I suppose the the big legislation about who can get visas, what types of visas there are, what types of channels there are for entering are made at the legislative branch? The right. So level. things like uh, levels of legal immigration, yeah. um, what types of visas exist, that's all, that all has to be done legislatively. Okay, cool. But then, uh, but then the executive branch, the presidential administration that we're talking about today, still has that very important role in terms of I think you mentioned the number of uh, refugees that can come in, and and some of the, I guess, detailed aspects of what gets enforced and how these laws are enforced. Exactly. The agencies and the executive agencies are meant to basically decide how to implement the laws that Congress passes. So there can be a lot of leeway for how the agencies decide to implement laws. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's look back a little bit at the Trump era. So 2016 until the, the until very recently. And just FYI, I remember when Trump got elected, I was actually doing some work in Eswatini, then known as Swaziland which is, you know, one of the remaining absolute monarchies of the world. And the news stories that day were uh, that, you know, when Trump got elected were very much like, can't believe America's done this. This is insane. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's coming from one of the remaining absolute monarchies. Uh, anyway, let's look back at that period. What happened to US migration policy under Donald Trump? There was certainly a flurry of activity, basically nonstop in migration policy for those four years. Donald Trump and his administration made hundreds. Um, my colleague and I have actually counted it at more than 400 executive changes to immigration policy throughout his four years. Wow. So these range from kind of obvious policies and obvious policy changes that separating children from parents at the US-Mexico border or 
building 450 miles of physical barrier along the US-Mexico border, reducing refugee admissions to the lowest point the US has seen since uh, we implemented our current refugee system in 1980. But they also implemented a lot of smaller, under the radar, more technical changes that still can have a pretty big effect. So these are things like requiring certain visa applicants to submit 15 years of previous residence and employment information um, and increasing social media vetting, both things that make the uh, immigration process to the U.S. much more difficult. Um, it includes things like uh, instructing consular officers to use more discretion in deciding whether to issue temporary visas for the full validity period or not. So basically encouraging them to issue temporary visas for shorter periods of time. That, plays, that played into the increased social media vetting and the increased difficulty of applications, causing people to need to go through that more difficult process more often, basically. So those two small technical changes can work together to have a bigger impact. Some of these other small changes, or I shouldn't say small, but rather just more technical, include decisions by the attorney general that eliminated some common grounds for asylum, you know, making it more difficult for people who had experienced domestic or gang violence to qualify for asylum in the United States. Um, it also included things like setting uh, performance standards for immigration judges that require that encourage them to complete cases more quickly and maybe in effect spend spend less time digging into the really complicated cases. So there's a whole range of executive actions that the administration was able to take that will be pretty hard to undo. On the other hand, as has been the case for several decades, they really weren't able to get much passed legislatively. So ultimately, the foundations of the U.S. immigration system uh, and the legal immigration system to the U.S. have remained pretty much uh, intact throughout. Very interesting. And I mean, those technical but very important changes that you've just described, have they, did they filter into actual changes in the data on migration trends coming in and out of the U.S.? So... It's hard to tell. Uh, so basically the, the levels of legal immigration don't seem to have changed much during the Trump administration. We, we can't you know, identify a drop that can be attributed specifically to these policies, but we have seen that the number of new immigrant visa applications, for example, has decreased mm. over the Trump presidency. So because of kind of all the backlogs in the US immigration system, we might not be seeing the effects yet, but we can see them kind of coming down the pipeline. You know, the changes to refugee admissions certainly had an effect. Um, that's a very concrete effect that we've seen. What about irregular migration, illegal immigration, which was supposedly, well, at least from this side of the pond, seemed to be what he was all about, you know, build that wall, build that wall. Right. <laughs> that have an effect. 
So I don't think we saw the border wall have an effect. What we have seen surprisingly yeah (laughs) what we have seen have an effect are kind of some of these different policies that made it more difficult to access u.s territory during the asylum process things like what's known as the remain in mexico policy but officially called the migrant protection protocols where people people crossing the u.s border illegally are sent back to mexico to await the outcome of their court proceedings things like that things like the asylum cooperative agreements where Asylum seekers coming to the U.S.-Mexico border were sent back to Guatemala to actually seek asylum in Guatemala, which, of course, very few people actually did. Uh, Most of them just ended up returning to their home countries. Um, So things that made it more difficult to access the U.S. asylum system and to access uh, U.S. territory through policy, those were the things that seemed to have more of an effect on the actual flows that we were seeing come to the U.S.-Mexico border. Blimey, I'm I'm already I'm already sick of talking about Trump. So let's look forward and and think okay. talk more about uh, the future and what sure. that looks to bring. And I know it's only been a few weeks of Biden's administration. Just just to timestamp this, we're fifth of February, 2021. But has anything happened so far? I mean, I've things have come up on my feed like executive order, blah blah blah. I think even just before recording this, I saw on Twitter something about climate migration yep. uh, that happened today. Even so, what what has happened in just uh, I suppose two to two or two to three weeks since the inauguration? President Biden has actually done a ton on immigration so far. Um, It's been an extremely active first few weeks, you know, similar in pace almost to what we were seeing under the first few weeks of the Trump administration, but obviously in substance, very different. So actually the first day of his presidency, he signed several executive orders um, undoing some of the most, or some some of the policies that were most symbolic of the Trump era. So things like um, rescinding the travel ban that prevented immigrants from 13 countries, uh, mostly either Muslim majority or African countries from uh, coming to the US. He paused construction of the border wall. He stopped new enrollment in the Remain in Mexico program so that uh, no one who's coming across the border now will be sent back to Mexico. His Department of Homeland Security narrowed enforcement priorities significantly. So while the Trump administration had basically said that any unauthorized immigrant in the United States is uh, should be a priority for arrest and removal, uh, this administration is saying that really this should be limited to people who are national security risks, people who entered the country in the past few months, or people who have recently been jailed uh, and are also deemed a risk to public safety and have been convicted of certain more serious criminal convictions. So it's a much narrower set of priorities than we saw under the Trump administration. Um, And then uh, we also- It also kind of reminds me of uh, an, an article in The Economist I read, I think either last weekend or the weekend before, which was entitled Control Z, you know, the new Biden administration, because it, it does seem a bit odd from this side of the pond how presidents yeah. come in, they'll implement a bunch of executive orders, and then a few, few years later, new president comes in and rescinds them, as you said. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> certainly not the healthiest system that we're seeing right now. 
but it's what we have to work with. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Plenty of merits to the American political system too. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think there were also, you know, aside from these, so there were these several executive orders that had really concrete, immediate uh, policy effects, but some of the other executive orders have kind of set out a blueprint for what we might see uh, going forward. And we've seen that Biden is really, he instructed a lot of review processes to begin. So like reviewing a bunch of policies that the Trump administration had put in place, things like saying, you know, review all the um, new all the changes to asylum policy, review all the changes to the legal immigration process, um, review the new security vetting requirements for the refugee program. And so while those aren't, we're not seeing those concrete changes yet, it's an indication that we're going to see a bunch of, a bunch more changes coming down the road. Yeah, cool, cool. And what was the thing, did you see the thing today about climate migration? So that was an executive order that Biden signed uh, yesterday, February 4th, um, mm. that he signed basically setting out uh, priorities for the refugee resettlement system, setting out reviews of these security processes, and oh. then also directing his administration to review what they can do to, um, to, to deal with potential forced migration due to climate change and what they can do to mitigate the effects of climate change in the areas that might be most vulnerable. So definitely a shift, you know, we really haven't before seen a US administration uh, making climate migration and addressing the intersection of climate and migration. We haven't seen one make it such a priority. So it's definitely kind of an interesting new direction for migration policy under Biden. Yeah, absolutely is. And so I suppose, so that was the one yesterday was very much part of these review related executive orders. Okay, exactly. I feel why does he need to need to do executive orders to make his team review things? Why can't he just tell them to review them? I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I think part of it is communication strategy, yeah. you know, public messaging strategy, you know, we're focused on immigration and we're going like, don't worry even if these policies aren't reversed yet, they will be down the road. Um, but also it, it puts some pressure on the cabinet departments to know that this is something that's been stated publicly that they're going to be held accountable for. Yeah, sure, sure. And we talked a little bit about how the system works and what the president's administration is responsible for. But in terms of who actually is responsible for migration or immigration, more specifically, who, who would that be? Is that, uh, well, just in the UK, for instance, it would be the Home Secretary, mm -hmm. Home Secretary, and then under the Home Secretary, there's going to be an immigration minister. How does that work in the US? Yeah, so uh, it's a bit more complicated in the US. Um, I would say that most immigration uh, policy happens within the Department of Homeland Security. So that would probably be yeah. the equivalent to the I Home so. Office, yeah. uh, which is led by the Secretary of Homeland Security. Yeah. But the Department of Homeland Security is made up not just of immigration agencies, and there's three main immigration agencies within uh, the Department of Homeland Security or DHS. 
um, and the heads of those are probably, you know, the similar to the immigration secretary, maybe. Yeah. Uh, although I don't know that much about the UK system, so. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the Homeland Security Department is also made up of FEMA, which is the Federal Like Disaster Management Agency. It also has the Secret Service, which protects the president uh, and others in the administration. Right. So it's kind of a diverse set of functions within DHS. And then immigration functions are also spread out in other uh, cabinet departments. So for example, the immigration courts are within the Department of Justice. Uh, so the attorney general who heads the Department of Justice also has some say over immigration policy. Um, and then there's also the Department of State. So the Secretary of State uh, has some say as well. The State Department really is responsible for the refugee system within the US, um, as well as you know coordination with regional partners such as Central American countries where migration is obviously a huge uh, kind of international issue between the US and those countries. You talked about a few of the things, concrete executive orders that have been implemented and announced so far. Looking further ahead at the Biden's first term, what has he promised or what's on his agenda? So I think the biggest thing is that he has promised to put forward a, at least a proposal for uh, a path to citizenship for the 11 million unauthorized immigrants who are living in the US. And um, we know that there's going to be a bill introduced in Congress soon that would essentially would provide a legalization program for this population. Um, and it's what he's proposed is the broadest legalization program that we've ever seen a president propose. So that's really significant. Um, the likelihood that it gets through Congress is slim uh, because there really isn't, uh, the Republicans haven't indicated any support for such a broad legalization. Um, and is that the legalization of the so-called dreamers or is this something? So this would be a broad, so it would include yeah. the dreamers. It would also include people um, who came to the U.S. as adults and have been living here for even longer. So yeah, it would be all, all people who are in the U.S. without legal status. That's the 11 million number. Within so that, just, just as a side note for those not so familiar with the U.S. system, the so-called dreamers, and correct me if, I've, if I'm misdescribing this, but the so-called dreamers are ch children who arrived or those who arrived in the U.S. as children irregularly exactly. and then grew up there right yeah. so that was a pathway towards legalization for them but yeah so describing as much broader right and you know the dreamers haven't actually they don't have any sort of permanent legal status right now you know some yeah. of them are covered by the by the daca program uh which basically protects them from deportation and gives them work authorization but doesn't provide any sort of a path to permanent residence or citizenship mm -hmm, so something that might be actually more likely to get through congress in the next few years is kind of a smaller legalization targeted at dreamers and we know there's bipartisan support for that and we actually just saw a bill be introduced um yesterday february 4th um so even if this this broad legalization doesn't get through it seems possible uh that another type of legalization a smaller legalization could get through though 
you know, the, this legalization for dreamers has been consistently introduced for uh, basically two decades now and hasn't passed yet. So wow. I'm a little nervous to make any predictions on that front, but we could be seeing that. Um, but I that's, do want to. Um, but I'm, I'm curious though. So we, we think that the most likely scenario or a scenario could be that there's a legalization program for dreamers that gets passed, but then this broader, this much broader legalization program, it's been introduced, but there isn't really the support. It's not, I mean, if, if we're not clear that the dreamers legalization is gonna pass, then surely this broader program is a bit of a no-go. Right, um, I think it's, you know, it's important because it's putting legalization at the top of the yeah. agenda for the administration. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's a start, it's an opening bid from the administration, which will then get negotiated down. Yeah. Um, and one of the places it's likely to get negotiated down to is a legalization for dreamers. Yeah. And that, I find that quite interesting. Oh, just to go back to the point about the key personnel within the executive. So uh, understanding, of course, what you said very reasonably about how migration is kind of cross-cutting and that different responsibilities are shared across different departments. But the new, who is the new Secretary of State for Homeland Security? So there's the Secretary of Homeland Security and then yeah. there's the Secretary of State. Oh, sorry, yeah. Sorry. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, it's confusing. Yeah. Um, but the Secretary of Homeland Security is Alejandro Mayorkas. He has a really extensive immigration knowledge. You know, sec Secretaries of Homeland Security don't always have that immigration background. Often they have a more national security background. Yeah. Um, and then the Secretary of State is Anthony Blinken. Um, who also, you know, he's a longtime diplomat. Um, he's expressed a lot of commitment to the refugee program and to kind of restoring America's image and standing in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do those picks already give us a bit of an idea about where we're going to go? Absolutely. I mean, both of these picks are people who, who view immigration as an asset rather than a threat to the United States. Um, and I think a that's a change. Exactly. That's a huge change. Um, and they want to kind of to take advantage of the opportunities that immigration can provide. They want to make sure that immigration is handled in a humane way. They also understand, you know, some of the what some of the backlash has been to immigration, honestly, and they know that there has to be a balance between, you know, treating it pragmatically, not letting everyone in, but also making sure that it's done in a, in a humane way and in a, in a more measured and thought out and less chaotic way, a way that's based on the evidence. And I think that's, you know, that's part of why it's important that we're seeing Biden direct all these reviews of policy. It's really different from what we've seen for the past few, few years where immigration policies were kind of implemented at the whims of Stephen Miller, who was President Trump's chief immigration advisor, essentially, um, and who was a really hardcore restrictionist. But we're seeing, you know, a much healthier policy process that's going to figure out what's what's really the best and most implementable policy that's possible and that can help the most people, the U.S. and immigrants. Hmm. 
I want to pick up on something you, you alluded to a couple of times, which is you talk about these processes of legalization or potential legalization that could happen. And it seems like that's, as you've said, a way to telegraph, I suppose, what the administration considers important. And it's kind of a statement. When I see American politics, at least again, from this side of the pond, it seems highly polarized. And we, we've also seen this big, these big swings back and forth. So, you know, Trump really focusing on that security side of things, and then Biden now focusing a lot more on, on um, asylum and legalization. But how does that look in the eyes of the citizens? What are their pressing issues? And how have those changed in the past few years? Interestingly, the American public doesn't seem to be as polarized as politicians in DC and as the representatives of their parties are. So, you know, three quarters of the American public supports uh, providing uh, a pathway to legal status and citizenship to unauthorized immigrants who live in the US and who, you know, meet certain qualifications. And so, of course, there's room for debate, you know, what, what those qualifications are, what, how long that pathway to citizenship is. But ultimately, there's a broad base of support for some remedy to more fully integrate the population that's been here for years and that people know is contributing to the society, to the economy. And that's actually gotten, support for that has gotten stronger over the years. And likewise, support for a legalization for dreamers has gotten stronger over the years. A smaller percentage of Americans support um, increasing overall levels of immigration to the US. That's less than majority support, about, about even shares. I think it's somewhere in the 30 percentage points support increasing, staying the same and decreasing. So there's, but again, that's not, that's not too polarized. That's like, you know, about an even spread across the different options. We obviously see more support among Democrats for some of these things like legalization, but even Republicans I don't remember whether it's a majority, but it's it's not a small share that that supports them. What we do also know, though, is that people who oppose increasing immigration or immigration in general tend to have stronger feelings on the matter than people who support it. So it's more of a kind of driving force in their political ideology. So while maybe more people support kind of, uh, well, maybe more people support immigration or support legalizing unauthorized immigrants. The people who don't support it tend to be the ones whose, whose voices are really heard. Um, so it's, it's them and it's the, the politicians who really care about their base that's being so vocal about this. That kind of leads to this polarization. Yeah, but do you think Biden is going to try and do something to address those concerns or those perceptions? I mean, we know that statistically, and it's the same uh, over here as well, that illegal immigration is a very small proportion of, of migration flows, but it's still something that generates a lot of emotion and politicians do listen to that. I think that 
the Biden administration, while of course security is still going to be important to them, I don't think they're going to do anything to kind of lower the security threshold. You know, they've said that they support, for example, increasing border security technology. I think that they have learned from the Democrats' experience during the Obama administration, where President Obama, he and his administration really tried to give the Republicans and the people who were concerned about illegal immigration, really tried to give them a lot on enforcement. Um, You know, we saw higher numbers of arrests and deportations under Obama than we saw under Trump. Um, And they were really committed to trying to do this enforcement first strategy. And then they thought the Republicans would come on board and support some sort of legalization, but that didn't happen. Um, And so I think that this administration uh, with, along with, you know, due to that, those lessons and pressure from activists and advocates, they're done with the enforcement first strategy. You know, they tried that and it didn't work. It didn't get them anything. So now they're just going to pursue the policies that they want to (laughs) pursue. Fascinating. It's going to be very interesting to to watch. (laughs) And currently a large proportion of U.S. immigration comes via the family reunion visa route, Mm -hmm. uh, around two thirds, I believe. Bearing in mind, I think I get some of my understanding of US immigration from John Oliver's (laughs) short clips on immigration um, on YouTube. Those are great though. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Uh, I was gonna ask your opinion on that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, So around two thirds coming in via the family reunion route, and then about 15% coming through the asylum route, and you, I suppose you already mentioned that the number of refugees coming in, uh, number of asylum seekers coming in went down because that's something that the president can change very quickly with uh, executive orders. But did uh, other than that, or, or first of all, confirm that or, did, or, or challenge that, uh, but did that composition change much under the Trump administration? And do we expect that to change under President Biden? And, and I, I asked this question too, because I think a lot of outside observers and perhaps a lot of people within the states as well don't really understand that composition because two thirds mm-hmm. coming in by the family reunion, reunion lo- route sounds like uh, a very large proportion to me uh, without putting a value judgment on it. Yeah, no, it is. And I think so. That's right. Uh, it's about two thirds. It's it hasn't changed that much during the Trump administration. We saw that the share of humanitarian admissions, refugees and asylees did drop significantly in um, 2019, but it actually had remained pretty consistent before that. And that's because of things like the backlogs in the asylum system. And then the other major route is the employment-based route. uh, And that's uh, consistently been at about 15%, a little under. But yeah, it is a really large share coming in via the family uh, reunification route. And actually about half of the people who come in, you know, through the quote unquote employment sponsored route, those are children and spouses of the people who are actually getting the jobs in the US. Mm. Um, They count toward the employment cap. Um, So they, so it's even more actually 
family reunion that's uh, that's being used. It is hard to change these compositions, again, because it does, for the most part, take legislation um, other than the humanitarian route. Uh, but there are, you know, Biden has some proposals that could change this. Um, one, one thing that he's proposed is raising the number of what are called diversity visas, which is a whole separate category. And those are visas that are randomly allotted to people who apply in countries that are historically underrepresented in U.S. immigration. Is this the uh, so that's how a lot of African immigrants, for example, come okay. to the United States. Is this the so-called visa lottery? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so Biden would wants to raise the number uh, of visas issued that way. You know, he's also proposed um, clearing the backlogs of the family and employment-based routes, which it's not totally clear what that means, but uh, that could result in uh, more people coming in through those routes. But again, these are things that would likely have to go through legislation. So not clear how much of an effect they'll have. That's really interesting, Jessica. And we've talked a lot about the domestic immigration agenda. And I think we can understandably, understandably focus on that because I think there's been more discussion about it. And I suppose we know a little bit more. But what about the external dimension of US migration policy? You know, what should we expect in terms of US interventions overseas that target migration? I suppose you already talked a little bit about the climate-related migration, but if you could expand on the types of things we can expect in the field of external uh, migration policy. I think that this is really one of the pillars of President Biden's migration approach. Uh, he's talked a lot about addressing the root causes of illegal immigration um, and has talked about, you know, the wanting to have a regional approach to this migration. Um, and we saw that he's outlined kind of that strategy in one of his executive orders as well. Um, I think it's going to look like, oh, actually, yeah, one other thing is he's proposed um, $4 billion in funding to address, you know, regional root causes. And when I say regional, that's mostly the Central American countries of El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, as well as Mexico to some degree. So he's proposed kind of a broad strategy to, that would likely include things like aid for programs that create economic opportunities for unemployed or out of work youth. Um, that's, you know, a gang and violence prevention strategy. Uh, would likely include things to address uh, rural poverty, which is one of the um, one of the main drivers we've seen of migration. I suspect there would be mitigation of climate change uh, of the effects of climate change in there somewhere. That he's also kind of talked about working with countries in Central America and Mexico to kind of strengthen their migration management capacities. And so this might look like building up asylum systems in the region, likely with a focus on Mexico, possibly a country like Costa Rica, not likely to see kind of the reliance on the asylum systems of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador that the Trump administration tried to create 
trying to send asylum seekers who are coming to the US back to those countries to seek asylum there, we likely wouldn't see something like that. It's more of, I think, kind of trying to meet countries where they're at and provide some sort of assistance so that, you know, this phenomenon, which is a regional phenomenon, can be addressed regionally. He's also talked about creating more opportunities for regional uh, refugee resettlement. Right now, there's very few few refugees resettled from these three Central American countries in the U.S., um, so creating more pathways for resettlement. Uh, and then also, one of the other major prongs is kind of opening up other legal pathways besides asylum or uh, refugee resettlement to allow people who maybe don't have um, a fear of persecution that reaches that level of asylum or refugee status, but that do really, you know, are facing really poor conditions in their countries and would like to come to the U.S. to work for half the year and then make money, come back, maybe go back to the U.S. next year. Um, so really opening Is that up some sort of humanitarian visa route or more. So it likely seasonal migration. It could it could be that, but again, that would have to go through legislation. I think what's more likely is opening up some of the temporary work mm, yeah. uh, visa programs. Um, you know, strengthening recruiting capacity in these Central American countries because the way that people get into these visa programs is really through like labor recruiting processes. Um, and there's really strong networks for that in Mexico, but the Central American countries haven't been able to take advantage of those routes as much. So kind of opening up ways for them to take advantage of those existing routes is something that I think is going to be prioritized. Mm, very interesting. And, and also interesting to note some pretty striking parallels between the European Union's external migration agenda and mm -hmm. what you've just described as being Biden's um, agenda. I, I really thank you, first of all, Jessica, for your time today. I, I've really enjoyed it and I've, I've learned a lot and I hope awesome. <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot too. And I wanted to close with putting you on the spot a little bit and asking you, what are the biggest migration related changes or the most significant or a couple of significant events or policies that you expect to have taken place by the end of Biden's first presidential term? Predictions. Um, well, I'm going to start with be, going be back. Be careful because you're going on record. I know, exactly. <laughs> it's dangerous, especially with legislation, but I am going to say a legalization for dreamers. Like I said earlier, I'm going to say that I think we're going to see a restructuring, revamping of the asylum system at the US-Mexico border. Um, you know, that's one of the areas where the Trump administration, it really cut off access to the asylum system at the US-Mexico border. But even before that, the asylum system wasn't really functioning there. So I think we're going to see kind of an effort to more fairly and efficiently adjudicate the claims that are coming in there. So they don't just contribute to these massive backlogs that we already have. I think we're definitely going to see increased refugee admissions. Um, you know, Biden has said as much, pledging to reach 125,000 refugee admissions at some point in his presidency. You know, this past year under Trump, it's been 15,000. So 
Those are safe ones. Um, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think is kind of an out there gamble? <laughs> you know, there's no, you're not putting any money on the table here. Okay, I'm going to say something that I don't know how possible it is, but I think that it should happen, um, which is Biden and that Biden has expressed support for, which is basically allowing for flexibility in the immigration system to allow more or less immigration based on economic conditions and which industries in the US have most economic need, things like that. You know, our employment based, our, our, our visa system and visa allocation that has barely been updated since 1965. You know, I think that making a change like this, allowing for more flexibility and adaptation to context in, um, in the immigration system would be good for the US. Um, it would be good for immigrants who are in those industries and who, you know, have, and if they can eliminate the backlogs, you know, have more assurances of being able to get to the US. It, and it would even probably serve to address some of the skepticism of immigration in the US by people who say people are coming in and taking our jobs. Well, while we don't think that's true, making a change like this would just would just allow the immigration system to function more efficiently and to the benefit of more people and is something that's yeah, I think sorely needed more flexibility in our immigration system definitely could be useful. So I'm going to say that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll have another follow up in two and four or five years time. And okay, great. <laughs> review those predictions. Okay, Jessica, thank you so much. Just very lastly, how can listeners get in touch, connect and learn more about you and your and MPI's work on this subject? You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jessica Bolter with B-O-L-T-E-R. I highly recommend going to www.migrationpolicy.org. Um, we have a lot of great data tools, reports and data on immigration in the U.S. and around the world. So highly recommend checking us out well, there. You're the second MPI guest on this podcast. So I've been very <laughs> generous with, with giving you that platform. But uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll link to those in the show notes. Jessica, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it and really appreciate the insights. Uh, all the best. And let's hope the Biden makes these things happen. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Migration and Diaspora podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can check out the podcast website at loxanharley.com forward slash podcast. There you can subscribe to the mailing list or get in touch if you want to be on the podcast. Be sure to follow the podcast via your favorite podcasting platform and leave a review if you can. Thanks again and see you next time.